Hello everyone. Welcome to the episode 9 of So Lead Saturday. The guest we have today, he did not follow what his family's business was into, but he, you know, found out his own path and he chosen the career he was passionate about. So let's hear his career journey. How did he realize his passion and how did he manage to be one of the leaders in the areas he was passionate about? So thank you Alexander for agreeing on oh. the time and being a guest on my solid saturday podcast i oh, really appreciate that no my pleasure thank you for having me on uh, you know it's taken a lot of work to get to where i am uh, yeah i um i have three older brothers who all looked down at me disdainingly uh 15 20 years ago when i first started working on artificial intelligence mm-hmm. when i first Started working on artificial intelligence. It was not the most respected industry, and nowadays, of course, it's it's a buzzword. You hear it everywhere. Mm-hmm. It helps you know startups get funding even when they don't use AI. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's actually that's a whole nother talk I give is on AI fraud. It's the amount of AI fraud I come across is amazing, and in fact, one of my very good friends runs AI Vanguard, which is you know one of the firms in the world, and Vanguard finds. Mm-hmm. that nearly half of the people who apply for jobs mm-hmm. lie about their AI experience and have mm-hmm. close to none. You know, it's uh it's pretty amazing. But let's uh let's uh you know get into your show and yeah. talk about uh stuff today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So uh to start with the first question is like, you know, when I looked into your profile, you started your career as an analyst then you grown into the ladder mm-hmm. of director then you do like teach the ai and ml right now as well you started it couple of years ago and you still do that and after that you mm-hmm. form your own organization which is rebellionresearch.com so you are a ceo as well so what do you enjoy the most and why oh without a doubt i enjoy education the most uh <laughs> working on ai and machine learning with the brightest uh, minds you know mm-hmm. it's one thing to have a bright mind but when you have a motivated mind a young mm-hmm. excited youthful mind mm-hmm. you know youth youth is a sort of magic if you will that mm-hmm. you know as we get older and older uh, you know we just we don't have as much of it and we forget how to use it mm-hmm. and to be around you know these these motivated uh for instance at, at Cornell so many of my students have such a passion for mm-hmm. learning about AI in the financial markets that mm-hmm. it really makes teaching them very exciting and tomorrow night I'll be giving uh, my annual AI seminar actually I'll do it twice a year now at Amherst College mm-hmm. and it's really a pleasure and actually I run an internship program through Amherst College Well, I run an internship program with a number of schools so mm-hmm. actually in 2019 rebellionresearch.com had over 50 interns Uh, between mm-hmm. between Dartmouth, Yale, uh, Amherst, Columbia, NYU, um, and of course many Cornell students as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great to know. Actually, maybe definitely students should reach out to you for the intern programs because that is something people always look for when they are pursuing their career. Uh, students, especially, they try to find out the right kind of internship for them to build their. Mm-hmm. so that's good to know um when you're talking more about like you know you enjoy the education system more like teaching others so do you feel that uh teaching is the best way of learning as well like it gives you more oh, without a doubt it gives it gives me access to the ideas of some of the most motivated members of my field uh, you know these are you know these are individuals who are trying to break in they you know they 
are passionate about machine learning, passionate about AI and finance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they have ideas that I won't come across from colleagues. And when I talk to a 55 year old colleague, he's not going to have the same passion, but not just the passion. He won't have novel ideas, novel approaches because he's been doing it uh, a certain way. It's the, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks idea. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I learned quite a bit from my students and I love learning. Oh, that's great. That's great. Actually, learning is the most important aspect of actually enhancing your skills. So um, moving to back to your question, actually, you already explained, like, you know, how didn't you follow that uh, your family business or something? So when you mentioned that you are not an heir, but how important it is for a person to, you know, follow his heart, follow his interest and the passion. Why? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. when you engage in a job that you're passionate about, that you love, Coming to work every day isn't work. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's it's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, many people think, oh well, if I don't make the major leagues, I don't get to play. You know, what's fun for me? But that's, I, you know, I think you know, sports are for children most of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, most adults aren't that stimulated by sports. I like sports, but after an hour or two, I'm bored of them. You know, my brain needs more than sports to be stimulated. Frankly, I it doesn't do yeah. it for me. Yeah, no, I I need complex situations i need moving parts i i you know i just i need more mm -hmm. and lucky luckily for me ai has become a uh, you know a valuable industry a growing industry and so i've been able to work with this really mm -hmm. exciting technology and make a living out of it you know with mm -hmm. rebellionresearch.com it's a it's a great growing business mm -hmm. and not just is it such a nice business but it's it's you know uh, very automated and mm -hmm. runs like clockwork, which allows me to spend so much time teaching at all of these, you know, leading schools. And it's not easy to teach at Amherst or Cornell or even Rutgers where, you mm -hmm. know, it's very demanding. The students want to learn a lot and they want to know a lot. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's just so much fun. And I really, I found like a, a, a fantastic kind of 50, 50 mix of running my mm -hmm. firm and educating you know, and so that, you know, I, I also have an educational blogger about research.com. Under our research, you know, we make money from managing clients mm -hmm. in 40 countries throughout the world, but we publish not-for-profit educational research, mm -hmm. you know, over 500 pieces on everything from AI in Brazil to, you know, dark uh, holes in the universe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really just trying to be educational. And when I started teaching at Cornell, I thought it would be a, you know, a great endeavor, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, you know, when you have a, a firm name with the word research in it, it's kind of nice mm -hmm. to actually produce research. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, you know, the idea of rebellion research was that our AI research was novel, but now mm -hmm. not just are we doing rebellious research, but we're also producing actual physical research. As I said, mm -hmm. nearly 500 pieces in the last three years. So that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. That, that's great to hear, actually. So uh, when you talked about, you know, you got an interest to the AI. So do you remember, like, you know, when did you exactly started? When did you realize it that, okay, I, this is the space I want to get into? Yes, I would say that I was at the 2001 uh, National Math Championships. Um, I used to be a decent mathematician. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm not so hot anymore. But when I was younger, I, I was I was okay. And Mm -hmm. I was doing a gigantic problem set on mm -hmm. um, the potential outcomes for building an airport for this make-believe city in this math mm -hmm. problem. And the math problem took you know, three or four hours. And you know, 
there are a number of potential answers you could have. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, if I could build a simple AI system that could learn, mm -hmm. this would be actually much easier for me. And I used to program a lot, actually. Um, mm -hmm. When I was a teenager, I really enjoyed uh, programming. Um, mm -hmm. And so as a programmer, you know, AI is like a fantastic machine, like an outboard mortar on a boat. Mm -hmm. And when applied well, it can work so harmoniously with the water and the boat and move you mm -hmm. forward. Of course, you know, when you use it in the wrong circumstance, uh, it will do terribly. An outboard mortar on a small boat in the middle of the ocean, that will be useless. Um, but, uh, you know, as a, as a computer programmer, the idea of this computerized uh, machine that could mm -hmm. learn simple but yet very complex data structures mm -hmm. seemed obvious to me as a career starting maybe around 2001-2002. Mm -hmm. Yeah that's great actually so you have like a perfect uh, combination of skills like programmer and then you have the math background I guess to be in this field as well. So uh, the two strong skills set out of it like. Actually I'd wanted to be a painter uh, originally. Oh. Uh, an, uh, landscape, uh, an impressionist landscape painter. I really love to paint, but I had zero skill in painting. Mm -hmm. Mathematics and physics are the only things I've ever actually been good at. So I had to, I was a failed painter. Yeah, but definitely when, if you try your hands on, definitely you will get to get, uh, get into the, your painting thing as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dabble here and there, but I'm so focused on uh, what I'm doing now that, you know. Yeah. I don't, uh, between my daughter and my business and, uh, you know, my teaching, I, uh, mm -hmm. I'm also an exercise, uh, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. I'd yeah, like that you mentioned actually, that is quite like, you know, determinant, that shows you, you know, uh, that you are determined about, you know, whatever decide discipline and. Uh, no, on Saturday I did 14 miles, on Sunday I did 13 miles. So, mm -hmm. you know, I like uh, long distance, I enjoy that, it's very fulfilling mm -hmm. for me. And I also, I like eating very healthily. I eat fruit, um, mm -hmm. vegetables. I have nothing processed. I have no, uh, no starches. Mm -hmm. I try to avoid salts. So I generally, I, I eat like a caveman with maybe a few yogurts and cheeses. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very picky about what I put into my body. I only want healthy stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I, I gave up uh, desserts maybe two years ago. So mm -hmm. I, you know, the only dessert I'll have is maybe some natural honey on some yogurt with some strawberries or bananas. Uh, but I don't partake in sugar foods, whether it's candy, cake, cookies, brownies. I don't eat those. I don't eat yeah. You need the control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that I feel like a great sign of a leader as well, right? When it comes to those things, like when you have your control, when you are disciplined, when you are determined, those shows like a leadership style is like, you know, uh, you are more into that leadership where you're always going to lead your life. So uh, that's great to hear. Uh, there is a lot of interesting facts about you because you are like kind of a versatile profile. Like, you know, you did wrestling also, right? So, yeah. Yes. So, like, yeah. so I actually, uh, I got to the national quarterfinals in uh, the U.S. wrestling tournament about 20 mm -hmm. years ago. Uh, I mean, that was back when I could bench press 400 pounds and squat 700. I, I used to be a very large individual and... You know, wrestling was uh, a lot of fun for me, but um, yeah, no, I was a, a wrestling mathematician, the rare, the rare combination. Um, yeah. I always joked because most wrestlers didn't get the best grades on my team, at least they didn't go to the best schools, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. Um, 
yeah this is definitely like something that you know you have like a lots of interest it seems like you tried your hands in multiple things you more or like a explorer who wants to try and then so thank you for sharing and uh, moving back like when you were talking about the research right at your rebellionresearch.com so mm-hmm. anything interesting that you would like to share like you know any interesting project that you guys worked on or any kind of a proper career path or uh, you guys follow like give to the students in during their internship so that they get into their full time jobs so that would be of course, of course so my interns they fall into one of two categories they're mm-hmm. either computer engineers mm-hmm. or their economic uh, researchers mm-hmm. and so what we do in rebellion research is apply ai machine learning on the economy mm-hmm. so the two halves of our technology are economics and ai machine learning and so that's why i take uh, those halves of the interns and the economics interns write reports on you know ai development in countries around the world and the engineering interns will write reports and in fact so myself and a Dartmouth engineering intern uh, we had a paper published also with the head of engineering from Cornell um, it's in the journal of financial data science uh, mm-hmm. the uh, winter edition uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's myself uh, professor Sasha Stoikov and uh, actually one, my, my head of machine learning Han Kui uh, mm-hmm. also helped as well and so um, you know, we love to publish, you know, but we also publish on, you know, black holes and mm-hmm. edge computing, 5G, you know, mm-hmm. and for instance, you know, we did a lot of reports on the Boeing 737 MAX crashes mm-hmm. because when you deal with AI and machine learning, you deal with smart systems. Mm-hmm. And so smart systems are all very similar. And whether it's the Boeing's MCAS simulator mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, global economy, Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to apply a smart system to the real world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we did a lot of reports on the, the Boeing Max. And, uh, you know, uh, that was, uh, you know, very gratifying at the mm-hmm. same time. You know, kind of felt like I, I had a calling to investigate that. Um, anything that I come across that I don't mm-hmm. understand, I try to investigate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's, ed, you know, edge computing is very exciting mm-hmm. as well, which is localized cloud. Oh. And that's where we're going to have tiny computers. Um, mm-hmm. Think of Uber, if you will. When there's a driver uh, or when there's a passenger looking to be matched with drivers, mm-hmm. that local one, two, three square miles, they don't need all of the Uber drivers in that state. They just need mm-hmm. Uber drivers in that local area. So Uber only needs local computing power and so they don't need to store as much data and the idea of edge computing is to take all of this cloud stuff and bring it down mm-hmm. to kind of a local area and so that these and these edge computers are very 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 cheap uh, to install mm-hmm. and so you can have tons of storage mm-hmm. in just a small area and this allows for i mean you know we're, we're at a place right now where data is multiplying and multiplying and multiplying mm-hmm. and data storage is a significant issue Mm-hmm. And for companies to expand their capabilities, mm-hmm. you know, they can't take all of the data the company has and just port at this area and port mm-hmm. at this area. And so, you know, they'll take a kind of a smaller sampling of the data for the various areas. And it's kind of a way of cutting up cloud computing. And so mm-hmm. you've heard about cloud the last few years a lot, but over the next few years, you'll hear about edge. And edge computing 
is this localized cloud. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, for instance, think of cloud as a big, slow barge. Oh, okay. okay. But they were, but they were the first barges where you could put lots and lots of stuff to transport. Mm-hmm. There was no way to transport goods on the virtual river, if you will. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, we had the idea: Hey, let's build smaller boats that can't carry as much, but mm-hmm. they move quickly. And that's essentially edge computing, where you have, mm-hmm. you know, these smaller apparatuses to host tons and tons of data. Mm-hmm. You know, from Verizon to McDonald's, any multinational company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, McDonald's, when they have, a, you know, they have AI now to, to assume their customers drive through order. Mm-hmm. But edge computing is perfect because that local McDonald's doesn't need the information of every McDonald's customer in the world or mm-hmm. in the country or in the state, maybe just that county. And then if that, you know, if that customer isn't from the county, it'll jump to the cloud and, and, mm-hmm. and pull off that customer. But for the other 99% of McDonald's customers, it can pull the information directly from the edge. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a much more efficient way of holding data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really insightful, actually. So um, uh, I was like, you know, uh, very curious, like when I do the feasibility test for a particular data model, right? Uh, I have always that question, like when I analyze that, okay, there is a benefit inside that uh, handling that data, building the machine learning model. And we are done with the feasibility testing. Um, what are the real challenges actually when we think about uh, moving to the cloud solutions like a big data side? So yeah. would you like to provide any uh, inputs on that as well? I already yeah. mentioned lots of things actually. Well, cl- cloud is fantastic. You know, Rebellion loves mm-hmm. the cloud. We run our machine learning on the cloud. It allows mm-hmm. anyone can run any business from anywhere. Cloud is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you become a much larger business like a Verizon or a mm-hmm. McDonald's, you know, or even a Microsoft, mm-hmm. you, you have all this customer data mm-hmm. and, you know, cloud computing becomes clunky and, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's, it's, so if you want better latency, you can't be going back and forth to the cloud. Everything mm-hmm. will be slower. Mm-hmm. So if you want, you know, faster results, you can use edge computing mm-hmm. to make your results faster. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the idea of edge is just to, mm-hmm. to, to beat up cloud. Cloud is becoming a little slow now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really useful and insightful. Actually, I felt because I heard it first time from you that you know uh, something that is apart from looking for like only the cloud platforms, it is something more over you go for um, uh, computational methods. So, uh, moving to the next question, yeah, no, Edge is going to take off. We're talking about a whole new industry. It's going to absolutely take off. It's going to be mm-hmm. gigantic. Over the next five years, you're going to be hearing about edge computing all the mm-hmm. time. It's five G. So edge is important in 5G because in yeah. 5G, you're going to have a lot of localized data. And if you want to mm-hmm. have flying cars, mm-hmm. you need a lot of local data. Mm-hmm. And so with the cloud, you can't keep tons and tons of data about mm-hmm. like 72nd Street and Broadway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and have that flying car mm-hmm. or that driverless car mm-hmm. get all the information it needs as quickly as it needs it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you'll have more accidents. And so mm-hmm. with driverless uh, auto, you know, they're going to want to put lots of edge uh, computers all over uh, the streets and insert mm-hmm. these little computer chips so that, you know, they can have more, especially with very dense cities uh, like Los Angeles mm-hmm. or Chicago or New York, there's eventually going to be edge computers all over uh, these cities mm-hmm. so that, uh, you know, the, the cloud computers don't have to store eight you know million cars at once mm-hmm. and only monitor 10,000 cars. And so with 5G, and all of that technological breaks that 5G is going to bring, 
it's going to be very important to make data retrieval more efficient mm -hmm. and faster, especially because we're going to have so much more data. Mm -hmm. and, and we're going to have a need for a lot of data very quickly, but very mm -hmm. specific, very specific localized data. A lot mm -hmm. more that's what we're finding. We don't need the whole cloud. Yep. So yeah. you don't want to use the whole cloud when you don't, mm -hmm. you know, you're not using 99% of the cloud or even sometimes 99.9% mm -hmm. .9 of the cloud. You're using this 0.1%, this little area, and that little bit of data you can put onto your edge. And mm -hmm. so that's why I'm very excited about edge. I mean, you know, five, 10 years ago, cloud was the next, next thing. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, Edge is obviously the next next thing right now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Actually, this is really useful. Uh, moving to the next question is like when we are talking a lot more about this cloud solutions, ML and AI. Any kind of a tools, technology platforms you would like uh, audience or encourage them to learn on a priority level, like where, whoever is looking for like you know, learning this space. Well, first of all, uh, I tell everybody everywhere the number one thing any interested student in machine learning area I should do is go to Coursera mm -hmm. and take Professor Angela Gu, mm -hmm. probably the smartest AI professor on the yep. planet's yep. courses. I agree. Intro one, intro two to AI, Stanford. And I met Professor Gu in October and I couldn't believe really? how kind he was. I, it was for me, he was a hero, an idol. Forget Michael. Yeah, Jordan. for me too, I, actually. I, for me too. I he, yeah. he, I, I, I've idolized him for years. I, I had trouble speaking, I was shaking, I was so excited when I met mm -hmm. him. And he couldn't have been kinder. And he, he said, Alex, you're gonna inspire a whole nother generation of AI students. I said, you know, wow, I can't even believe you know who I am, but uh, you know, awesome. And uh, yeah, no, he, yeah. He, uh, he absolutely made my day. I, uh, I'm just a gigantic Andrew Nago fan. Uh, he's mm -hmm. just a, a amazing individual. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. yeah, so thank you so much. Uh, so moving to the next, question is you know uh, uh, so you are like adjunct professor we already discussed and teaching machine learning for portfolio construction mm -hmm. would you like to share more about it like what is that exactly yeah so you know you can create your own machine learning or mm -hmm. you can get it off of the shelf you know when we first started doing this 20 years ago you couldn't access machine learnings anywhere but nowadays google facebook there are many platforms online where you can access machine mm -hmm. learning and AI. So a lot of my students, I, yeah. I think they don't even bother building it. What you want to bother doing is looking for a smart data set to work on. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, right now being an, a network architect is, is, is really the app is really the, where the bread and butter, the value is being the, the architect, the, the application of the AI, that is where the value is in. Because mm -hmm. you can find very powerful AI, you know, for free right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't not at the level of rebellion research. We, my AI was built with myself, one of Peter mm -hmm. Thiel, the founder of Facebook's top guys, um, you know, PhD from Grand and a teacher, and actually two other professors. So, you know, our, our AI is very cutting edge, but you mm -hmm. don't need to get up to one hundred percent. You can get to eighty, ninety percent of of strength and find a data set to manipulate and create alpha. And so. There's really infinite ways to uh, apply an AI or machine learning to the financial mm -hmm. markets. Uh, you know, whether it's a diverse portfolio or a small portfolio, uh, there are so many ways to apply AI. And you know, I always just, I encourage my students to, to fail. You know, tinker with things, try things out, see how they go. You yeah. know, and 
you'll learn more from failing than you ever will from succeeding, you know? And I always joke, I never had a student show me a back test of an AI system mm-hmm. that was ugly. They always look pretty. They always look like, a, like the AI works very well. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's the, the human desire to overfit. Mm-hmm. And so something I actually work on with that is trying to limit mm-hmm. the history I give students to work on. I try to give them no more than six months history. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that they can create a system mm-hmm. from a limited amount of history. Because if they get too much history, they'll try to create a system mm-hmm. that just works for that history. And so, you know, it's very important. You, you build a system that works in all areas. And, you know, that's, that gets you to deep learning and, and reinforcement learning. You know, we, we started with deep learning uh, where we, um, you know, we, we taught our machine learning how to, uh, to, 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 to predict the economy by feeding it various economic uh, situations. Mm-hmm. So when Professor Andrew Nagu taught his deep learning how to predict what a cat was in an image by feeding his deep learning four million images of cats. Mm-hmm. We fed thousands of economic situations, tens of thousands of economic situations to our AI mm-hmm. so that it could learn what factors contributed to negative and positive movements mm-hmm. in the global economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the AI could learn that a fall in copper prices would have a significant effect on Chile's economy. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, we know Chile has an economy with a 90% exposure to mm-hmm. the copper industry, but the AI can see copper movements correlated with movements in the Chilean economy. And so machine learning and AI is great for pattern seeking. And so when doing economic predictions, there's a lot of patterns out there. So it becomes very difficult to find the right patterns and to not get lost on the wrong patterns, mm-hmm. can, the noise. And so that's a lot of my classes, you know, working with students on mm-hmm. avoiding the noise and coming up with a smart application yeah. of AI to create alpha. So, um, yeah. so do, you have, do you have any kind of a best approach for, you know, removing the noise, like uh, for the data cleaning actually? There's no real base yeah. case way for doing it. Um, I mean, you know, limiting your data, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess, yeah, the, the easiest way, the easiest base case is to, just to limit your data. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number one failure I see when it comes to getting tripped mm-hmm. by noise is a student, you know, becoming too ambitious and trying to throw in every last thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can try to just create a system that can predict China based on 10 to 15 economic bits mm-hmm. to at least get something working, you know, with some prediction success rate to it mm-hmm. before you give it a hundred pieces of economic uh, output and you're just totally lost, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's always better to start smaller. Uh, as Nietzsche said, uh, you know, you must first learn to crawl before you can walk, you know? I don't like Nietzsche, of course, as a, a Jewish person. He's a huge anti-Semite, so I can't. Mm-hmm. But, but he said some very intelligent things. And as a worldly mm-hmm. person, I will respect uh, intelligent insight, even by those who hate me. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's very important that you limit your, you know, your, when building an AR machine learning system, start small. Mm-hmm. Baby steps. I really can't emphasize baby steps. So I'd say if there's a base case, uh, you know, it's building a successful machine learning system. It starts small and grow. And once you can find success with, with kind of a puerile, a simple system, start adding to it. 
It's mm -hmm. much easier to add than it is to take off. Because when you're taking things off, you're, you're, you're flying blind into the wind. I'll take this off, maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know. Yeah. Whereas when you're building, you can see a direction and maybe you yeah, can yeah. see, oh, well, our performance is really good except around these times. And so maybe it would help if we added these data factors, which are relevant to predicting, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. So if you start small, you can see where your holes yeah. are. If you start so big, it's like, like, yeah, so yeah. yeah, so it's better to start with a subset of the features and try different iterations. Yeah, exactly. that that definitely makes sense to me as well. Like you know, while building the machine learning, you can't just fade everything to the machine to learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. We we and were feeding so, our system yeah. two thousand factors. Uh, we were feeding two thousand unrelated economic factors. It was just too much. It was just too much of the system. I couldn't you know couldn't mm -hmm. comprehend it. You know, and not consistently either. And maybe at times you can come up with some great predictions, but if you want consistent accuracy, uh, you know, you you need to limit the data set you're working with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as like you know, uh, if sub suppose person is completely new and he does not know anything about the economic, like he does not have the domain understanding, what would be the best way to learn that particular thing? Um, you know, obviously the number of mathematics classes, uh, you know, statistics, uh, statistics are extremely important. Then, you know, you can, you can become a basic Python programmer in three weeks with free online courses. Mm -hmm. And Python programming is generally the best for working with data sets. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, everything is, you can teach yourself everything online. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so when everyone gets scared about job loss because of AI, I say that's ridiculous. The one thing that has held true consistently throughout evolution of mankind is that as we become more technologically savvy, our jobs become higher paying, our salaries become greater, and our working conditions become safer and more comfortable. With AI and technology, people who didn't have access to the knowledge and education can have access to it. They can give up their jobs, mm -hmm. they're paid less and have poor conditions for jobs that are paid more with better conditions. Mm -hmm. And if they can't program, they can do other things. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, there are, with more technologies, you'll have mm -hmm. more availability for jobs. And that's what we're seeing now. In America, there's a million jobs for every person. If you, at, at this point in America, if you don't have a job, it's because you, you don't want a job. Yeah. I'm sorry to say there are a million job openings in America. <laughs> I know it's not the same in Canada and Europe and other places, but in America, if you want a job, the only excuse you have for not having one is sloth at this point, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah thank you thank you actually you have a lot more to share i don't think we are we are going to stick with the timeline <laughs> i might run a little bit ahead of time so sorry about that so uh no, okay. to the, my, my wife's waiting yeah, for dinner anyways. yeah because you have a lot more things actually i feel like you know uh, you should share that with us uh so um moving to the next question it is um you are like you, you have like lots of things in your profile. So I saw that you are a board member of NMI Food Truck Association. How yes. does it oh. happen to you? Like, how does it work? And well, uh, the New York Food Truck Association is a really wonderful organization. They're the leading trade group for food trucks in the U.S. Actually, mm -hmm. represent hundreds of the coolest brands, uh, from mm -hmm. you know, Luke's Lobster to. Uh, you know, this hot food truck in LA or this hot food truck in New York mm -hmm. and you know, thousands of members and the mm -hmm. food truck association, uh, you know, is, you know, uh, kind of a half union, half trade group, if you will, mm 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, the union chairman, uh, Benjamin Goldberg, is a very close friend of mine. Mm -hmm. he, you know, thought I could, you know, lend some wisdom to him. And so, you know, people joke, you know, how, how applicable is AI systems to food trucks? And I say, well, you know, currently there's zero you know, applicability, but, you know, um, you know, background in philosophy and mm-hmm. business and, uh, you know, trying to be helpful when I can. But uh, I, I, listen, I learn about the food truck business more than anything. I don't think I offer them anything. I think if anything, I go and I just learn from Ben and the food truck guys. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very fun, cool company. But then there's Flyjets, which also on the board of. That's that's a much more technologically savvy business. It's using an online web portal to mm-hmm. match plane owners and plane renters and plane brokers. Mm-hmm. They do net jets, but a kind of a virtual net jets, if you will. And that's you know, that's been having some great traction and you know, really growing very nicely. Um, and you know, so you know, if people think I can lend them value, I'm on a few other boards. I don't put on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, mm-hmm. Try to keep. Uh, if the company gets large enough, I'll add them. But um, you know, uh, if you know, I don't, I don't want a startup or a, you know, a one year mm-hmm. company. I try to keep that away from my uh, my profile. Okay, okay, yeah, that's that's actually interesting. Uh, like when I read that, it's like, oh yeah, this this is something interesting, right? Because you are in the technology front, but still you have managed to have different interests alongside. Yeah. So that's great. So moving to the back to our ML and AI discussion, um, there is a question about, you know, how do you differentiate between strong AI and weak AI or statistical AI and classical AI? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, you know, strong AI um, can find portable alpha, if you will. Mm-hmm. Strong AI can find um, patterns that exist in multiple uh, ecosystems, mm-hmm. whereas weak AI will kind of find patterns when they're easy and available, mm-hmm. and those patterns will be weaker and softer, and they mm-hmm. won't hold up as much. They'll be more superficial. They won't be as deep. Um, and so, you know, stronger AI is important for a robust, uh, consistent system. It's going to last over a variety of uh, environments. Um, mm-hmm. That's you know, really what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, this sounds good. Um, moving to the next question is, what is the agent in artificial intelligence? That might be the basic question, actually. Uh, what is the agent in artificial intelligence? Yeah, yeah no. Um, yeah, I, I, I love to point out that, in fact, the most prolific form of artificial intelligence on planet Earth is the dishwasher. Mm. And, in fact, a dishwasher can run an intelligent set of instructions hot water, cold water, release soap, rinse. Mm-hmm. And that's all that defines artificial intelligence. It's really just a machine that can follow an intelligent set of instructions. What makes machine learning exciting and, and why I've been obsessed with machine learning for two decades is the preoccupation with rewriting code mm-hmm. as the ecosystem changes. And so machine learning is rebuilding itself mm-hmm. as, it, as its environment around it changes. You know, for instance, our machine learning doesn't just assume that Australia and China have the same relationship, but it sees that there's a varying relationship there, that yeah. Australia is buying more Chinese goods and becoming more of a Chinese partner. And, you know, that's the thing. The economy is, is constantly in shift. And when, it, when, when you have a, an environment that's constantly in shift, you know, uh, it becomes, uh, you know, really, really tough, uh, really tough. You know, AI needs a vacuum. 
a dishwasher is kind of a vacuum, if you will. Mm -hmm. Machine learning is can start, you know, operating outside of a vacuum, if you will, mm -hmm. where it can start kind of varying it up and, mm -hmm. you know, and answers. And so, um, I don't love deep learning, for instance, mm -hmm. because deep learning isn't as versatile, and you know, deep learning can react to changing questions, but mm -hmm. it's not good at a changing environment. And so, it's great for recall. Mm -hmm. But, you know, reinforcement learning, which is what we do at Rebellion Research, is very important for being able to pivot and being able to analyze, you know, the, this transitioning mm -hmm. ecosystem that's always in flow. Um, you know, we started with deep learning at Rebellion Research, but mm -hmm. we, we just found that the economy moves too fast for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, moving on to the next question is uh, like, you know, uh, would you like to elaborate more on the machine learning based uh, approach for stress testing, which is there in your profile as well, actually? So what is that yeah. exactly? Yeah, no, I'm giving a, teaching a class. Um, my next class will be, I guess, in a, a month uh, for risk.net on uh, stress testing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so much of uh, my work with my students and work with building research is on stress testing. Mm -hmm. And, now, first thing I would say is that uh, you need a uh, dynamic environment to learn mm -hmm. from stress testing. You, you don't want to stress test something on a calm environment. You want a 2008. You want to see, uh, you know, the limits to what the system can handle. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's that's very important. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, after 2008, the financial crisis, you know, my partner and I decided, you know, hey, we had an AI that could predict financial crises, mm -hmm. you know, let's build a portfolio from our AI that mm -hmm. doesn't move even in times of financial crisis. And so we were able to use 2008 as the ultimate stress test mm -hmm. to create this kind of very stable uh, system. Mm -hmm. But, you know, stress, you know, stress testing is, ex is exceptionally important uh, for building machine learning. And a lot of people think you should ignore uh, kind of Abnormal events, but mm -hmm. ab abnormal events are exactly what you need to be learning from. That's where your system really uh, cuts its teeth, if it will. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, no, it's very important you train on abnormal events. Yeah. So, uh, actually, between our conversation, you were uh, mentioning about data being like, you know, uh, varying uh, along the period of time. So, like, you, your change, data keeps changing. What would be the approach for, you know, making your model robust? It is always you have to retrain it or there are any other AI platforms yeah. that can do it? Well, I think our AI is very powerful. And mm -hmm. so I don't want to touch the actual AI itself at this mm -hmm. point. You know, we would add uh, bits of data. You know, we added mm -hmm. the, you know, your, uh, when we launched, we did not actually have most currencies. Now we have the AIs cover something like 27 currencies. <laughs> and when we launched, we had limited commodity data. And so, you know, it's funny, when we launched, we had so much economic data, but we have so much other limited data. And so as time has gone on, you know, we've been pickier with adding in good data that's relevant um, <laughs> so that our system has more relevant data so that it can make more relevant predictions <laughs> about, uh, you know, the direction of the global economy. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'd say not tinkering with the system or just kind of tinkering with the inputs you give it, the finding better data to give it. And of course we made a major transition from deep learning to reinforcement learning. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that is definitely useful. Moving to the next question. Did you, uh, did you work in the speech recognition? Sir, what was that? Uh, speech recognition. Uh, I, I, I have actually uh, never worked in speech recognition. Oh, okay. No, um, no ne never, not at all. Uh, <laughs> my, my partners have, uh, two of my partners work in speech recognition. And in fact, uh, my, one of my idols, James Simons of Renaissance Technologies, mm -hmm. he took, you know, Bell Labs at the time in the 80s was the, the leading research uh, mm -hmm. firm in the U.S. And their work with uh, recognition, speech recognition, was unparalleled. And many people think that their speech recognition work is what has powered Renaissance to be the best machine learning hedge fund on the planet. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Um, next question is around, uh, actually, uh, I'm not sure actually, what is meant by compositional semantics? Compositional what? Semantics, actually, semantic analysis. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, no worries. So uh, moving to the next question. Uh, yeah, so you already mentioned that you are a true, like, you know, a true programmer. So which programming language do you prefer? Oh, I prefer Python without a doubt. Uh, I learned C++ when I was a kid and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Java when I was younger. But uh, now, you know, you have to use Python. It's really the only language you can operate machine learning with. And it's, it's mm -hmm. definitely data. So what would be the best way when it comes to learning any programming language? Oh, I just find a free course online. Yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. spend a penny. Don't spend a penny. Yeah. Save your money. <laughs> yeah. So moving towards the end of this podcast, actually, we have a couple of uh, questions uh, related to the leadership. Sure. So, um, what, what is your leadership style, actually, being a CEO or being a uh, professor at a uh, uh, university, being an adjunct professor? Uh, what is your leadership style and any leader that you always admire or get inspired by? My leadership style is one of being a kind of a soft educator, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't believe in ever yelling at anyone. Uh, I don't like, I it's always tell them. Loving you there. <laughs> you whenever it's said, first day, sorry, what? You must be the favorite professor then. I try. I am very popular. I've got a nice cult following, <laughs> if you will, but I say whenever someone's first day of volume research, I say, listen, uh, I have two rules that you can never break. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I will kick you out of the office within one second. And that is never be mean, rude, or offensive to anyone else in the office or play video games uh, or mess around. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't believe in video games in the office. No video games in the office and no being mean to anyone else or rude. I don't mind if you're reading, I don't mind if you're reading baseball or cricket or your, you know, a movie review, but no video games in the office. I, I, and I love video games. Zelda's yeah. inspiration to me as a child. I love video games, but not in the office. It's just not the right place for it. And so I'd say that, you know, um, you know, by example is important. You know, my, you know, my colleagues see how much I run. My colleagues see how I eat. I eat, you know, very, 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 uh, you know, limited quantities of only very healthy natural foods and mm -hmm. I, I try to be as respectful as possible to everyone I come across and I think that's extremely important uh, you know um, now you know I'm, I'm part of this family this uh, very large powerful family and it's an honor at the same time it's also a burden if you will it's a burden because you know I, I have to be as respectful and nice mm -hmm. and sweet 
Uh, even when people aren't to me, even when people are rude and mean and jealous, I have, I have to be better than that. Yeah. It's just part of being a leader. Yeah. And, uh, like, uh, like we, uh, we are talking about the academics here actually. So, uh, any kind of advice that you would like to give to the students, like rather apart from academics, education, how they need to build their profile and, you know, be a network doing the networking or doing external projects or their own personal projects, how they should approach and, you know, invest their time, actually, their actual... One, yeah. One, you can never apply to too many jobs. I always say that. You can never apply to too many jobs. And two, you can never do too many projects. But Mm -hmm. finish your projects. Students who start projects and don't finish them are the last thing anyone wants to hire. When I I come across some very energetic kid who wants this, 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 and this, what has he actually accomplished? That's the last person mm-hmm. I work with. I want to work with a person who mm-hmm. has an idea, who wants mm-hmm. to execute that idea, and complete that idea. Mm-hmm. And if it's a failure, it's a failure. But he's come to the final, you know, he's taken it as far as he can take it. Um, you know, so it's very important. Uh, that just whatever you do, your resume speaks to your ability to see things through, to be someone mm-hmm. who finishes what they start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that clears out like, you know, how you find out your interns as well. You will look for their resume where they, it shows something that is kind of outcome rather than yep. showing here and there. It's something that is focused. So uh, that's great to know. And uh, last question is more or like, you know, we always see that uh, students or the uh, professionals who are pursuing their career or trying to switch their career or grow in that particular areas like AI or ML. What kind of advice would you like to give to them if they want to lead in that particular area or they want to grow or they want to pursue the education in that specific field? Well, I would recommend building a working AI mm-hmm. product, uh, apparatus mechanism. Mm-hmm. Show that you can use AI or machine learning in a successful manner, even if it's in a simplistic way. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Whatever you create that works, that's that's impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you have no background in it, of course, you know there's many free. Uh, you don't need to spend lots of money on schools. I, I'm someone who's not a big four-year schools guy. I think schools are expensive and overrated. I think you can get a ton of knowledge on data science and machine learning for free online. And if you're truly motivated, the knowledge is there for you online. And you know, if you want to set yourself apart. Do a project, an interesting project, and then send your project to the people you want to work for. Yeah. Light, of course, but find the person, send the email, show them. Hello, Mr. So-and-so from Bank of America who works on card derivative models. Yeah. I applied a basic machine learning to predict credit derivative swaps for the natural mm-hmm. gas market. Check this out. Maybe you want to hire me for that open job you have. Yeah, that I, that I totally agree, actually, being proactive, approaching to the people and there is never a, like a hesitant, there should not be any hesitance, actually, when you're looking and trying something out, you can easily reach out to the people. And I feel uh, this area right now, the way it is evolving, data science, AI or machine learning, people are more helpful on the community side, actually, and yeah. a lot of money oh, yeah. available online where, you know, you'll find everything like blogs or courses, like, you know, and there is a lot of collaborative learning where people are sharing their knowledge free of cost. You have a platform like GitHub where people are keeping their course as well, like sharing it publicly. So it's like, there is a lot more to, you know, learn by yourself. AI machine learning is populated by by people like me who are nerds. We love education. We love to learn. We love to teach. 
And so, yes, there, there is a lot of, uh, mm. of education that's out there that you can seize upon. Mm. So, you know. It's, yeah. it's, so it is more or like once you find your interest, definitely you find out your way out to learn it. Anyhow. But I would suggest we end on a businessman who cannot be topped, Ray Kroc, mm -hmm. the man who built McDonald's. Mm -hmm. He always felt that persistence mm. above all else was the difference maker in business. Mm. And I think I must agree. As long as you have persistence, you will reach a goal. Whether it's mm. your specific goal, maybe not, but you will reach a successful goal. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really can't underestimate uh, persistence. It's, it's so important. It's simple, but it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the truth. You yeah, stay it's true, actually. You should be a persistent. Like, once okay. you are committed, you have to do it. So that's really great, actually. I felt like this was like a great session for me as well. A couple of things to learn from it. So thank you so much for your time thank and you. your consideration. Really, really appreciate it uh, being so there much. on my podcast. Thank you. And I will definitely stay connected. So I look forward to sharing it. Thank you so much. And uh, what I'm going to do is whenever I post this, publish this, I will inform you as well as I will tag you. So if you have anything like, you know, details uh, which you want people to know, like if you have anything, like I already saw your rebellionresearch.com. Yeah, the CEO of rebellionresearch.com. So, um, yeah, I will just simply mention that, you know, they can reach out to you always yeah. on LinkedIn or rebellionresearch.com. So thank you so much and uh, have a wonderful evening.